Hello, this is John Bueri, and welcome to another episode of Community Intelligence, where we explore how leaders engage and build community. For this episode, I met with Harry Grammer, one of the first 20 Obama Foundation Fellows and the founder and president of New Earth, an organization that is fighting youth incarceration in California. New Earth provides mentor-based arts, educational, and vocational programs that empower youth to transform their lives and realize their full potential as contributing members of our community. Harry shares with us his own experience with incarceration as a youth, how he found his way to this work, and the bold new approach that he and New Earth are taking to keep kids out of the system. Harry, thanks so much for sitting down and talking with us about community. Thank you, John. Tell us just a bit about the work you're doing professionally right now. Okay, sure. Um, so, as many know, and, and as many don't know, uh, Los Angeles has had an issue and a problem with incarcerating a lot of kids here um, over the last 30 years. And when um, you say a lot, how many are we talking about? I'm talking about, well, at the height of it, we were seeing 30,000 in one year. Wow. Up to about five or six years ago, we were seeing heavy amount of young people going through and, and, and being processed. Uh, and some would go home, but some would stay. And when you stay in LA um, and you're, and you're you know, sort of sentenced or adjudicated, you're sent to probation camps. Um, and these camps kind of sprinkle out on the borders of Los Angeles, Malibu, Lancaster, San Dimas, um, you know, we have them out, you know, there's, there's, there's camps out in Pomona. Um, and, you know, and, and these young people would, would live out their sentences, would be anywhere from six months to a year, sometimes even more, depending on what they're charged with. So, and the age range of these age youth? Range, age range is 13 to 18-year-olds uh, who, you know, are, are picked up for various reasons. Um, and a lot of times, you know, they're picked up for what's called status offenses, and I can talk a little bit about more about that a little later. But we saw the need to begin to just um, engage with the young people in some way that are, that were incarcerated because there was so many and it felt as if um, the support that was needed um, was not arriving um, and you know we were also looking at you know 86 percent recidivism rate so that means a young person would go in come out within two to six months they'd be at be back in again so there, there was obviously a problem so in order to engage these young people to find out you know what's going on tell me your story and uh, we began a um, a, a program called Flow, which stands for the Fluent Love of Words, and Flow uh, is a writing program in a in a, in a expressive, expressive, creative writing program that help young people to tell their stories through poem and through and through spoken word. And we had been doing Flow in foster care group homes for a little while, and we saw the need to stretch it over um, and into incarceration, and we did, and and so. That we began in 2004. This was this is 16 years ago. We began uh, our program with just helping young people to tell their story, helping them to sort of locate in their own lives. You know, where are they? Where am I? What is what's going on? And then turn into poems and then share it. And then from sharing those poems and those writings with each other, they begin to connect and they they begin to make sense of their lives. And that grew because. A few years later, I realized that great programs in jail, like the Flow program is and was, um, did not stop young people from coming back, um, didn't stop young people from still dying in, in their communities. So we knew, we knew we needed to do more. If Flow was not solving what you saw as being the problem, what was it doing as a foundation? So at the, at the foundation, it was giving young people an opportunity to have an outlet and have a way to to experience and to learn more about themselves through a writing process. So it, it, it was not there to stop someone from coming back. It was there to help that young person in their journey of their lives make more sense of what's going on, help them to make better choices when they got out um, because they, you know, they were um, telling their stories, but it didn't necessarily uh, stop kids from coming, coming back into jail. And where did it come from? Why did, why did you start flow why was that where you started yeah so when i was when i was young you know there you know i'd used writing and creative writing just to you know break out of my own 
my own my own little world that I was in. You know, I I grew up. I was I'd spent five years on juvenile probation myself. Um, you know, I was involved in gangs when I was young. I you know I was a teenage father. You know, and you know I I I, I didn't quite have the mentorship around to to help guide me to my next chapters in life to take me through that rites of passage. So I would go within and I would begin to write and begin to try to make sense of it myself. And I fell in love with spoken word. Um, I had, a friend of mine had taken me to a cafe um, and in that, at that cafe, um, I had heard this poet and I, and I can't remember the name of the poet today. I just remember he had this really humongous Afro and he was just dope, man. And, and he began to just flow with like, it sounded like rap, but it wasn't rap. There was no beat, and it was just this way, and he was talking about his life, and I began to do that. I began to write in that way and, and found power in it for me, and it helped me through some hard times. So I thought possibly this sort of modality I found for myself would be useful for the young people who were going through what it looked to be the exact same thing I was going through as, as a 17 and 18-year-old. And so you did that, and you found that it did affect them, but it wasn't doing, you felt there was more you could be doing. Yes. So what, what, what was your next step? So my next step was to, um, you know, and, 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 I'll, and I'll say, you know, I'll say that my next step came from not knowing what to do, just do something. Got it. I think a lot of nonprofit, community-based nonprofits, people start with passion, you know, they've got a dollar and a dream and they just don't know what to do. We didn't come from formal uh, nonprofit management school, <laughs> you know, we just know we want to do something. So my next natural step was to if, if young people are leaving these facilities and then they're kind of getting lost when they get back home, my natural step was to meet them at the front door when they were released. And then from that point, I would take them to whatever was needed. So I, I know what they needed beforehand and I know that, hey, I need to get you registered into a new school. I need to get you to the DMV to get your, 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 your ID, right? Because you don't even have ID. I know that your mother is at home right now and she's got three other mouths to feed and she probably doesn't have enough for groceries for a new fourth mouth to be coming home so let's go to the grocery store and let's like load up and take some groceries home for your mom when, when you get home at least something to start with. So it's kind of like case management without a formal program. Right. Because so to clarify, there is no case management for these guys when they leave. Not necessarily. Gals. Not necessarily. I mean, there's the probation department considers... Uh, the work that they do, case management, and and I think in in a sense it is case management. I think there's more that's needed. I think there's this care management also nice. that that needs to be included while you're doing case management. And that's really close. And when a probation officer has a caseload of 60 kids, you know what I mean? It's really tough, you know. Um, so I would take this on, saying, you know what, I would fill those gaps. You know, I would make sure that they check in with their probation officer in time. I would make sure they're making their probation uh, you know, officer appointments because a lot of young people were going back into the system because they weren't going to their appointments. So I would do whatever it takes. I mean, there was, there was a time when I, um, uh, this young man named Michael I was working with, uh, he, he, he couldn't really go back home because his parents, one, didn't really want him there because he was, he was really deeply gang entrenched and they thought that you know having him home was not safe for the family and then also because he just didn't get along with his parents he didn't get along with his dad his dad uh, was an alcoholic so I I had taken him home and I had um, his mom had invited me on his first night home to sit and have dinner with them you know so then I could help sort of create a bond or create some sort of safe landing back into the house for Michael and we had Dinner. They they I, they 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 let they they placed me at the, the head of the table and they said, Harry, um, help us, help help us work this out right now. Um, and dad, the dad was drinking and there was something that happened at the table. I can't remember exactly what happened, but there was a moment where Michael and, and his dad began to sort of get aggressive with each other from across the table. And then the next thing I knew, I saw his dad who was about five foot two, reach across the table, come off of his feet, and try to swing to hit Michael. And I'm sitting right at the head of the table, and I'm watching what's going on. I said, oh my God, what, this, is, this is intense. So I grabbed Dad, I, I sat Dad down. Michael's now up, ready to, ready to box with his father. 
Um, and mom is crying. The baby sister is in her uh, her high chair crying. And there's this chaoticness going on. I grab dad. I take dad back to the room. I sit him down, calm him down for a moment. I go back out and I do the same with Michael. And Michael, I didn't feel they'd be okay in the, in the house that night, so I took Michael away. And, um, and, and I told Michael, I said, Michael, you know, the problem, the problem was is that this violence that's happening in, our, in this house is just a little too, too much. I said, you know, you fight with your mother, you fight with your father. Um, this has to stop, you know. Um, and it, the story goes on a little further. Um, and to the point where eventually Michael got a little aggressive with his parents one night. Um, I got a call from his mother, told me what happened. And she said, this is continuing and continuing. Michael's the, the aggressor, really. Um, the dad's just trying to defend. And I, I told Michael, I said, look, if I hear about this again, you know, I think you and I, this, this relationship may not be working. And I think I might have to pull back. Well, it happened again. I pulled back. And, um, and I got a call three months later from his mom and said, Michael just enrolled in junior college here. Like, so she said, I think something's happening here. She's like, I'll keep you updated. And then about a year later, um, she calls me and invites me back over for dinner. And I, actually two years later, I drive to Long Beach where they lived. And I got there and I see a new car in the driveway. Um, I knock on the door, Michael comes to the door. Michael, you know, Michael shaved his head. He's from the neighborhood there and just how they wore their hair. Michael came, he had a full head of hair and a huge smile. And um, and then the dad walks up and the dad's got a big smile. And I said, well, what happened? He said, well, this happened. And he showed me that um, Michael had gotten his high school diploma from the community college. And then Michael also uh, had finished his, his uh, AA at that community college. Then he showed me pictures of Michael in Japan. So Michael, Michael had gotten a um, exchange program, and he went for a ninety-day exchange program to Japan. So he exchanged, and he was in Japan. Michael looked like a different person. Michael looked completely cultured and like he had traveled the world. He did not look like the same person that I had last seen about two years prior. And Michael went to the um, Michael went to his room go grab his guitar because now he plays the guitar and when I go to the room his, I see his father mouth you did that you did that I'm like no you did that you guys did that but he's but it was there was something in there where it's just the mentorship has to be I think if I, I think the mentorship has to be um, uh, it has to be a, a listening mentorship for young people with young people you gotta know when to step up. You gotta know when to when to pull away. You gotta know if it's safe to pull away. It's not always safe to leave a situation like that. But you got you gotta know when, and, you, and, and you've gotta be able to step in and do what you need to do. How did you come up with that approach? How did you know? And a lot of it's a little bit of intuitive, yeah. I get when you pull back or keep going. But what was what brought you to that point where you had the experience and the training to do that at that point? And did you? Yeah. I mean, that's... No, I mean, I think, I, think, I think the intuitive part was most of it. And I think that was the beginning of the journey of sort of what we do at New Earth now. Um, I, I think, you know, there's, I think we lead with what I call accompaniment. You know, I think, you know, to walk alongside someone while they're actually working out what it is to be an adult. Because we work with mostly emerging adults in 16 to 17, 18. And these are young people who are starting, they have a lot of questions. They're dealing with turmoil in their communities. They're dealing with turmoil in their homes. They don't really have that strong foundation of uh, education and what do I do next? How do I become an adult? Because they've been incarcerated or they've been going through the foster system um, since they were young. So there's this sense of like you can't force, you, because as soon as you begin to force, there begins to be this pushback because no one wants to be forced. and it, it's a sensitive journey. They've, they've experienced trauma. They've experienced people trying to force them through a process before, whether it be a teacher or a police officer or a probation officer or a foster parent who's, who's impatient. And so patience is actually at the foundation of the work that we do. And I knew that, we ha I knew that for Michael, this wasn't going to be a thing that happened right away. I knew that I did 
I, I, I think I did all I could on my end, and it, and, and it had to sink in. All the time that he spent at you know, the juvenile probation camp, even the time afterwards with his parents, I had to trust that you know, I left some nuggets with him. You know, enough to where some things will start to sink in and that our relationship and our bond was that strong that he see that, hey, if Harry stepped back, I really need to start to reflect because Harry was right there with me, you know, and um, and, he, and, he, and, and luckily he did, you know, and, and, so to speak. So. so you've been at this work for more than 15 years. Yeah. How do you think about building a community of the, of the individuals you're serving? These are, these are volatile times, even if life is perfect, being 16, 17 is tough. Even if you don't have the challenges or the trauma that maybe some of these individuals that you're working with directly have experienced. How do you build, how do you look at community around that population? You know, if they're coming from a community where they're belonging, whether it's a gang or a group of, of peers that maybe not have the, the right path, mm-hmm. and you're trying to bring them to a different community, maybe it's their family community, maybe it's the New Earth community, how do you leverage that? How do you, how do you approach that? Yeah, I think I think first, um, I'll just say that most of the kids we encounter first are incarcerated, so they're in they're in a seated location where okay. we get to ask a lot of questions and we get to just kind of build rapport and discover, you know, what some of their desires are. Do you lump? Them, I mean, I'll just jump in. Do you, do you lump them that if they're in that probation camp or that detention facility, they're part of that group, or do they really still retain individual? approaches to the issues they're dealing with? Do they, do they get, I don't want to say assimilated, but do they become part of that incarcerated culture as, at, at, at that age, in that situation? Yeah, quickly. And, um, and, 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 that's, and that's the sad thing about it, is that you know, they have to adjust. It, there's, there's just a, there's a it, it's survival of the fittest in, in many different ways. Um, you know, it's not always with violence, but just being at that age, going through adolescence, to just be the outcast mm. is, is painful enough. You know, so if it's not, you have to be part of this group because if not, you're going to get hurt. It's, it's going to be, you got to be part of this group because if not, you're just going to be an outcast here and you gotta be, you're going to be here for six months and just it's going to be painful for you. We'll, we'll, we'll tease you. We'll do all the things that sometimes young men do, is, you know, and, and they bully, right? Mm. So... Um, so they have to assimilate really quickly. So what we try to do is we try to take that assimilation and, and, and build community that's separate from that culture. And we spend a lot of time um, during the day, during the school hours of the probation camp. We'll, we'll, we're, we have programs that run, and then we also have programs that run after hours. So, you know, after school until the time they take showers and go to bed. And describe their ability to choose. I mean, maybe a lot of people haven't been exposed to detention facilities or, or probation camps for youth. What's their level of, oh, I want to go to you know, the New Earth program or I don't, or you know, do they watch TV? What is it that they're doing? Is it very structured? Is it rigid? Depends on which, depends on which facility you go to. Okay. Um, some facilities uh, have more programs than others. Some have none at all. Wow. And so when we go to a facility and there's just no programming happening and you bring a music, a writing, a, a, an expression program inside, it's like bringing water to the desert. Wow. You know, many times, and, and it still happens many times in the past, we, you know, we'd have classes and we'd have half the facility in the class and they would shut the classes down because there's just too many kids. It's too, it's too, it's too it, it, it looks too unruly from the outside to right. the guards, to the probation, you know, staff that's there that says, you know what, we don't, we never have 20 to 25 kids anywhere at one time in here. Now with one instructor and we don't know what's going to happen. So we've had those issues in the past, um, but we try to create this separate community of trust, um, of relationship. You know, um, a lot of these kids come from near the same neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. You, you know, they're not they're not separate. So, they're many of them are within five miles of where they live. You know, the the, the primary the primary um, uh, location where young people are being picked up from is South Central Los Angeles. So, you know, so they're in South Central, and no matter if they're black or they're brown, they're coming out of South Central Los Angeles, and and some from the East Los Angeles as well. So you've got these kids who think that they're different. They think that they're separate. They think that they're from different gangs. 
But actually, when you get them talking, they realize like, wow, I went through that. Oh yeah, I you know my, my mom's a single mom. Oh yeah, yeah my yeah my homies you know I, my homie got shot this week that week this. So they start to find out that they are all they're the same. So how much and that's that's so true about any group when you bring people together and they start talking, yeah. you start to find those commonalities. How much of it is focused on the individual versus the group? Sh- I say group share, the ability of being vulnerable in front of peers or others. I think I think I think in in and so in our flow program, yeah. it's the opportunity to write because there's also a performance okay. element of it. Nice, right? So you are you are writing to perform your piece, but we're we're doing group think. You we're, we're we're writing and we're having conversations. We're building. We're we're talking about a topic or a theme together. We're having discussions before we even go into our individual piece. So it's in those discussions that we find these commonalities. And then it's in the expression of it that it becomes something personal for you. It becomes your way of, 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 of speaking your story out to an audience of, in the room at that moment of you know, 20 other individuals and you're able to give that away. It's, it's in the giving away of your story. It's, it's in releasing that story and someone else receiving it is where there's healing. The healing happens in that process of being able to speak and, and, and be heard. You know, so um, that builds this relationship and it builds bonds. And I get stories all the time um, from young people that I work with and young men that I work with who, after they're released, they'll run into who, you know, a person who was the enemy before they went in and they'll see each other in the street and, and you know, that problem is no longer existent. You know, they, they, they see each other and they remember each other. They talk about flow. They talk about, you know, the experiences that they had and their stories. And it, and it, and, and it, and it breaks that up, you know. I don't think I think when someone's an enemy with someone else, it's because they don't see him as a, as an equal. They don't see him as, you know, uh, as someone who's experienced the same things that you have experienced. And I think you know breaking that up um, is going to be probably uh, one of the solutions of uh, getting down to a, a nonviolent Los Angeles. And so, what's next? I mean, we talked about the ability for you to get in and give expression, but that's not stopping them from coming back. So that's not cutting the cycle off yeah. of recidivism. What are, you, what are you guys working on, or what have you been working on that's, that's taken that to the next level? Yeah. So what, we, what we've been working on is, is, is since the birth, there's always been a vision since the beginning, and it's, we have four pillars that we operate on. Those four pillars are education, expression, um, um, uh, environment and, and 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 jobs, right? So, so these four things are the things that we are focused on within our program. Um, and so, with that, we we want to continue to build up opportunities for young people when with with work. We've learned that education, meaning just finishing your high school diploma, thinking about moving on into higher education because that's important that we continue to learn, not necessarily go to school to, to what Paulo Freire calls banking education, where we're being banked education from this education system and things are being banked inside so then we can spit them out later. But more of a, more of a, more of a, a conscious, consciousness that's being developed just from the process of learning, right? And just being critical thinkers. So education is a big part of it. Um, employment. Young people that we work with have never had jobs before. 16, 17, 18, 19 years old have never had a, held a real job. And their community and their families sometimes think, you know, this kid's not going to go anywhere in life. So when you, when, you, when you show up at home with a paycheck for the first time, how do you think your parents are going to see you then, right? And you're getting the job training. You maybe have a, a work shirt or you're showing that, look, I am moving into this world as an adult and I'm learning what it is to be responsible. It's huge for restoring the dignity for young people. So we find that extraordinarily important. Um, artistic expression. Artistic expression does not necessarily mean, you know, uh, fine arts. You know, it, artistic expression is the expression of of you through some sort of medium that produces something beautiful in front of you. So, for example, I, I, I think I think you know, even though it's athletic, I think surfing can can be done in a very artistic and beautiful way. 
Uh, we have writers and poets. We have we have musicians. We got kids that come to our program. We have a beat. We have like a beat making program now too. And we also have a DJ program. So we're teaching kids how to DJ. We're teaching kids how to make beats and produce. You know, and, and this this the effect of making something. You know. Um, shows that hey I, I i i have something tangible here to offer the world that's important um even we also have i mentioned in environment right we we have garden programs even growing a strawberry sometimes is profoundly profoundly um profoundly make, makes a profound effect on young people because they say you know what i put that seed in the ground it produced something now i'm eating it like i created something like that's a very Beautiful uh, expression as well. So, you know, I think we're going to continue to build up this part of the organization. We're going to continue to build up opportunities for young people in the communities. We're partnering up with other um, organizations and companies that um, that have um, um, have that have needs as well. And we're, and, and for example, uh, we have a program called Explore.org, um, and it's an Explore.org is a website. It's a it takes you into the lives and habitats of endangered species and, and rescue animals all over the world. It's an online platform. Um, you, you go in, there's, I think we, I believe we get about a million viewers per month in that site. We've been running that, that, that site for seven, eight years now uh, through the Annenberg Foundation. And they, they, it's their site, they hired New Earth to give jobs to the young people, train them in digital media, in, wow. in live camera operation they follow action and it's, it's a really cool program that we do so you're actually following animals with cameras yeah cameras. so if you ever seen the panda cams on good morning america mm -hmm. it's coming out of new earth those are young people running those cameras that were once incarcerated in one of the la camps right and so um this is something we've been doing for for years now and and explore.org is the biggest platform where these type of cameras are being run um but that is an example of a nonprofit organization, a community-based organization, thinking outside the box on how they're going to train their young people in in work, um, provide a, a living living wage job to young people who are who possibly wouldn't have earned a living wage job anytime soon um, because of the records that they have and the, the backgrounds that they have, and so giving them that opportunity, and then. Also on top of that, it becomes a funding mechanism for our organization because it's a social enterprise. So the funding that's generated um, um, by our client, the, the client pays generated, we, we, you know, we're able to use some of that margin to put it back into the organization for building out other programs. And then that's something that we've done for, that's something that we've done good for, for several years now. Um, and we want to continue to do that. It, 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 it helps the organization, it helps the young people, everyone wins in that situation. You have identified some great solutions, but what seems like an insurmountable problem. You said a couple of years ago, five years ago, 30,000 young people were circling through the probation, mm -hmm. uh, youth incarceration system right. here in Los Angeles County alone. Right. Let's say that's improved. Let's say it cut, cut in half. I don't think that's probably the case, but let's say it got cut in half. Still 15,000 young people this year. How do you meet that challenge? Yeah. Well, so so I, think, I, think, I think that's where we go a little deeper, right? And, uh, and what I found is... In, it, works is when we stop looking at these systems for at face right and we start looking deeper into them you know what you'll find in that problem is that 70% of those young people that are being cycled through the system are there for what it, what's called status offenses I said I was going to come back to status offenses and so status offenses are uh, are violations of probation um, that and, and kids are arrested for things that adults wouldn't be normally arrested for. So these are young people who are on probation, who, um, who have conditions of probation that they must adhere to. Um, a lot of times what's on that, those 10 conditions are things like, you know, got to be home before curfew. Are these standard or everyone's different? Everyone's, everyone's pretty different, but there's some standard ones that, mm -hmm. that, that in, it, in, the judge will add a few extra ones if needed for your particular, um, your, for whatever your particular case is, but a lot of times it's very standard. Standard ones are curfew, go to school, uh, check in with your probation officer, um, you know, you got you to test clean on your, on your drug test. And a lot of times kids don't meet those, you know, four main um, uh, terms and they're back in again now 
when I say, you know, they're back in for dirty drug tests, no one's asking why. No one's asking if this young person is an addict or, or if he's been treated properly and, and needs more, you know, substance, you know, use treatment. That's not being asked. What's being, what's, what it is is that... It's that, binary. That you're right. Exactly. Did you or didn't you? Did you or did you? No one's asking if that kid um, violated his probation because he didn't go to school because maybe, you know, he's being bullied or maybe because there's some problems that are happening inside the classroom, there's some rival gang members... You know, and, and he's just afraid to go to school. No one's asking that. No one's asking if, you know, he's out past curfew because he can't go home because, you know, his father came home with a, you know, you know a bottle of vodka last night. And not only, you know, did he drink it and, and get really drunk, he really, he hit him with the bottle. You know what I mean? Like, there's, no one's asking these questions. And so we get, we get a lot of kids up and down the state that are incarcerated for things that are avoidable because if they had more care and, and, and more uh, support. After they after they get out, that care management you mentioned. Earlier. That care management. Yeah. If that if that if that piece was present, we would not have the issues that we have today as far as mass incarceration of young people in the system. And I'll tell you even one one other thing, that seventy percent status offenses and in, 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 in the violations of probation that's nationwide. That's not just here in California. It's not just here. In, if we learn and if we can affect policy so much that we that we take status offenses out of the equation. You will see. You will see at least half, if not more, of um, of of the numbers that are going in get cut, and we 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 have that money that we're spending because in LA County it's four hundred about a four hundred thousand dollars a year for a kid that's locked up here, and just imagine us taxpayers are paying that money for someone who was out after curfew, or someone who you know um, violated probation because they didn't check in with their probation officer, right? We're paying that. Those are avoidable, you know. So look at how much money we, we free up right. to really use it towards those who have high needs, because there still are those who have high needs. They're, they're the young people who do, who are not safe to have in our communities that need the treatment that they need, and we can use those funds towards supporting those young people. So what's the status of trying to make that change to the status offense laws? I guess you'd say. Yeah. So um, so on a national level, um, a few years ago. Uh, Congressman Cardenas uh, introduced a bill. He's here from the San Fernando Valley. He's from San Fernando Valley. He's from uh, uh, Panorama City. Mm-hmm. Um, and now he's a U.S. congressman. Um, he introduced a bill to, uh, to eradicate status offenses nationwide. Um, he, that bill was introduced in 2016, you know, right around the same time, you know, we also have, a, you know, our Republican, you know. Uh, so... And, and I don't say that. I, I, I like how you trailed <laughs> off there. So in so, 2016, a lot of election changes, right? A lot of a new president, uh, you know, we had the Republican-controlled House. Yep. 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 So so we have, we have a, new, a new mind state. Um, so we've got to wait that one out a little bit on national level. I think I think here in California, we need to just hit that. We need to go at that a little a little stronger. We need to have help people look at that, that, that issue a little bit stronger. And I think, you know, backing up with research and, and, and getting folks... To the table that can have you know the conversation around um, what is it going to take and how if anything because there's always a fear that you know dollars will get shifted that you know there's everything job loss you know for folks who are in right. in those departments how how do we how do we move things around so then that if there is movement of those dollars from one department to somewhere else that those dollars be used to support these kids back in the communities right. I think I think what's going to make the most Difference is if we begin to really focus on uh, uh, community-based interventions, and um, and those that are closest to these young people, those that are in the in the community that have the know-how on how to help young people just have the opportunities and 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 the support needed to um, to not miss school to, <laughs> to, to you know is going to be. So your New Earth is there. You're there. This is you could be doing this 25 hours a day and still slow slog to make progress. What are the ways that you find that you can bring people together to accelerate the path forward? What have you done? What experience have you had, or what are you working on that brings other partners to the table? Because you're 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 a powerful operation, no doubt. But we all know that stronger in numbers, strength in numbers. So other organizations, other uh, right. policymakers. What what's your approach to bringing people together to move some of these huge boulders that are in the way of, of this succession? Yeah, I think I think I think there's a lot of people thinking about that. 
Um, you know, there's there's organizations. You know, there's right now there's um, there's a uh, probation oversight committee that has been passed. So last year, the board of supervisors, um, for the first time ever, uh, voted that we have a, an oversight a, a, a probation oversight committee that's that that are community members that that are now you know uh, have subpoena power. I mean, wow. and, and and can walk into facilities and and see what's going on unannounced. And there's there's that. There's the opportunity now to see things in a new light and be able to look at things as they are and then bring that to the table. So the probation oversight committee is really powerful, um, and that's been that's been designed with the what's been called the probation um, the probation. It's called PRIT. Um, might not want to tape this. Cause I'm trying to get the. <laughs> I, I might, I'm, trying, I'm trying to get the. What's, it's the probation reform implementation team. Is that? Probation reform implement, implementation team, I believe. Well, anyways, that started the beginning of the POC, which is the Probation Oversight Committee. This group got together, created this, introduced that to the board. The board voted yes. So we have a probation reform happening. There's also the discussion around um, moving uh, the probation, moving young people that um, the, the the entire incarceration process and product of of, uh, of, of LA County from the probation department into the Department of Health Services to wow. here in LA County as well. So here in LA, uh, there's been uh, various uh, organizations that are that have already been working on the ground really, really strong for you know for many years who have been you know along our, along our side and we've been along their side to affect change. Um, getting together now under a coalition umbrella called the LA Youth Uprising. Uh, there's organizations in there like, you know, like uh, YJC Youth Justice Coalition, ARC Anti-Recidivism Coalition. You know, New Earth we're, we're part of it as well, and and and, and, and street poets. And there's there's all these there's organizations that have um, that have been at the table for a long time. Um, um, Urban Peace Institute, um, and. Uh, now having discussions on how we can better together um, affect policy uh, and change, and and they this this organization this coalition has also been largely uh, behind trying to move the probation reform, you know, and making sure that things happen to where you know, our young people just don't end up in that pipeline as they have been for all these years. So you're you're finding a community here. I also know that you're you're part of other communities. You have you have been recognized as in parts of these cohorts, and you've spent some time. You were a, in 2017. You were recognized as a CNN hero. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? That's correct. And then in 2018, you became one of the first 20 Obama fellows mm -hmm. out of the Obama Foundation. But both of those programs put you in a cohort with other people, and you interact with other people nationally or internationally that are working to make change. What's that experience bringing? So you both have the the opportunity to connect with other people, but also the challenge of being a peer to people who are tackling issues in other spaces or perhaps similar spaces without making yours look like the only issue and theirs look diminished compared to the important work you're doing. How do you, how do, you do that? What's the opportunity in that space and what are the challenges of being held up in a group like that? Yeah, oh wow. I mean, I am, I am, I'll tell you one thing, I'm always humbled when I walk into a space with with all these folks and just listening and knowing the work that they're doing in the world, which is just beyond profound. Um, and it also supports me in seeing things from other perspectives. You know, for example, being an Obama fellow, there's only 10 uh, fellows here that from the inaugural group that are from the United States. Wow. The other 10 are from abroad. So, you know, listening to the similarities and the differences with issues um, mostly concerning youth, right, mm -hmm. from the Philippines, right, and education um, challenges that they have in the Philippines, or, you know, uh, the government corruption uh, issues that they have in Hungary and in, and in Mali, Africa. I mean, it, it all just sort of, it, it, once again, you see that we live in a, a very small world. And so when we were exchanging ideas, we all walk away with, um, a new set of eyes and a, and a new understanding and also maybe even a new set of tools to go home with uh, given that you know something worked in Mali that can possibly work on the streets of South Central Los Angeles as well um, and so it's, it's, it's been profound in that way you know 
And had you sought that out, and I don't mean the recognition, because it also is a recognition to be selected, but to find, to put your, I mean, that, that could be perceived as a distraction, right? That it takes you away from the work you're doing every day, puts you on a different level and plane with these other folks internationally. Do you put yourself in those uncomfortable or uh, challenging situations? You have a family here. You know, you don't just do this work, right? You're, you're living your life as Harry Grammer yeah. and Harry Grammer, CEO of, and founder of New Earth. Yeah. And Harry Grammer, all the other poet, and Harry Grammer, all the other things that you are, the challenge of pushing yourself beyond what you're already doing. How do you, how do you approach that? Yeah, it's necessary. Like you just hit me. You hit a sweet spot because that's necessary. It's necessary that I that I push beyond my boundaries because if I don't, who will? Right? And and you and so. I, I look at it like this. Um, Elon Musk's. Elon Musk had a had a quote. They asked him, you know, what's it like to be an entrepreneur, and and I think leading a community or leading an organization is sometimes like being an entrepreneur. You know, you've got to be thinking different. You've got to have big visions. You've got to take risks because if not, how are you going to move this mission forward? And he said, well, he said, well, what you know, what's it what's it like being an entrepreneur? You got to ask. And and he said, well, it's like chewing glass. While staring off into the abyss, right? <laughs> and, and 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 I laughed too the first time I heard him say that because I'm like, God, that's so right. Yeah. It's it, it it's it's you you have to push past. And for a person like me who often you know the imposter syndrome pops up and says, you're in this room right now, but you shouldn't be in this room. You you know you you know you. You're not good enough, or you're not big enough, or you, or, or your words won't matter, or these things come up, and I think I think that comes up for almost every leader still today, is that, you know, we come from a background where we were inferior, and we were there was there was a bunch of stuff going on, and now we're sitting in front of Congress, or now we're at City Hall and we're having conversations with the mayor, or we're sitting in front of the board of supervisors and trying to push for a new policy, right, or something to occur. And you don't, something inside of you wants to stop and just shut down. But there's this other part of you that isn't, I think may not even be, it may be something greater than you that sort of leaps out and does it anyway. And, and, and I feel that I've been in that situation um, so many times in my life where I had to just I, just, I just, I just showed up with all of my fear hanging out with me, right next to me, and I just opened my mouth. And what comes next is usually like what needs to come next. And I, I feel I'm not the one doing it. Something greater is. And then on the other side, I'm like, oh. <laughs> like who said that, you know? And, and, and it's necessary. And I think in, in order for us to, to move anything forward that's important, um, what's the young woman's name who's uh, 16 years old? And she's pushing the the environmental change, the climate oh, change. Uh, Greta, uh, Greta, Greta, <laughs> right? I can, I mean, I, I can't imagine, you know, the what what she has to be dealing with, standing up in front of these large groups of people, not having a degree from you know uh, you know a reputable you know university around environmental studies or something you know and saying what she's experiencing and what she's hearing and what she what's going on around her and, and seeing things in a way that many of us don't see and then being able to speak and then it resonate with people in order to do that there has to be something greater coming through us at that moment um and it's got to be terribly incredibly hard and painful sometimes and to be told no, and to be torn down, and, and for the media to show up and say, oh, you know, and, and you know, scrutinize your words, and right. you know, all of that is, is tough. And so, these are some of the things you got to go through to be, um, to be real. And, and sometimes you may be a leader out of it. Sometimes you won't be. But I think it's important that we say what I say that we say what we see, um, especially when there's injustice. There's a lot you've done. And with great success, and there's a lot of recognition, a lot of on your shoulders. A lot of people are looking at you and saying, okay, what's, Harry, what's Harry's next move? What's he going to do with all this success he's had? And I say success in a very difficult space. Um, what's next? What do, you, what do you look for in the next three to five years 
for the work of New Earth and your own work? I think one thing that you know I've been really contemplating with, and I think you know our, our team is also really starting to um, look at deeper, is how do we uh, how do we scale not outward but inward, right? How do we how do we really begin to set up the systems um, to do this work even better and more um, more effectively? Um, I, I I I know that we've built something pretty pretty tremendous over the last years. Um, I think now finding a way to systematize it so then it's duplic- duplicatable mm-hmm. um, is 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 where we're at next. So I want I want I want to start really honing in on how can we do what we do even better and, and more effectively for the young people that we work with. How can it how can it be duplicated, you know, in Chicago, right. you know, in Seattle, you know, in Miami. How, how, how can we do, be, be created and formed into a model? Do you think that, or maybe what part is a better way to ask, do you think what part of your process cannot be replicated? Meaning, do you think the community of Los Angeles youth may be different than the community of Chicago youth? What makes that community different here versus Chicago? Let's just take LA, Chicago, because they're they are worlds apart. But we've already acknowledged that the world is small. Yeah. What makes it different? How do you how do you recognize that difference early on? So I think that 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 comes down to listening again, right? That co- that comes back to talking to who you're with in that space. Um, um, yes, the youth here in, in LA are very different from the young people. In Chicago, I, you know, I grew up in Chicago, and and you know, and I come here, and I see a lot of differences in in, in the way that structures of, of neighborhood and, and streets and upbringing is, is very different. Um, in Chicago, it's a little bit more conservative, um, in a lot of ways. Uh, and so, I think what it does is that we talk about systems. We just talk about how do we how do we run an organization? What's the macro? What's the micro? And and I'm and I'm and I mentioned it earlier. Um, you know, we're, we're looking at how does working with the young people support the organization? How does the organization support the young people? Like that, that big model. I think that can be replicated. You know, but in inside of the organization, one thing that we just I think it's a commonality between all cities with the young people is that we know that they've had the experience of of poverty, and with poverty comes a whole line of uh, traumatic expen- uh, uh, experiences from, you know, from parenting to, you know, substance use and abuse uh, to, you know, even your friends, you know, dying at an early age. I, I saw, I saw two, before the, before the age of 13, I saw two, two suicides. One I saw in person, one I saw, well, one it was a friend of mine who didn't come to school the next day right. because he hung himself by his bunk bed. So, um, I, you start seeing these things happen early in life, so you're affected. So when we going in, when we're going to the work with these young people, we have to go in with an eye and an ear that this young person has been wounded, and there's wounds there, even though they're not showing it or they are showing it. We have to listen and we have to be patient, and uh, and they may not want to speak about it, and, and that might be part of the journey, and they may speak about it later, and that be part of the healing. But it's the process um, of 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 listening and being with. You know, accompanying them on their path. It's like walking through the forest on a trail and you're standing next to them. You're not standing in front of them or behind them. You're right next to them as they walk this journey. Um, and that's really important. So those those are the things I think are think are those are the things that I think are duplicable. Um, and, uh, and and we hope to we hope to really start to understand those things more as well as we begin to further uh, develop and and uh, build our system. Great. So we've had a, a great conversation. I'm sure we could talk for another two hours about the nuanced information you've talked about, about really this idea of accompaniment, the idea about care management um, and restoring dignity. These are key phrases that you mentioned today and are truly fundamental to mm-hmm. understanding the work you do, but not just the work you do, but the people you serve. So I want to thank you, Harry, for, for sharing these ideas just at the surface even, uh, and that we can dig further in the future. I want to go on, though, to our lightning round. I've got a series of questions for you. I want okay. you to just answer, short answer, whatever first thing. Don't edit. No need to explain. Okay. So here we go. 
Who is a leader who has influenced you in your work? I would say a leader that influenced me in my work is Jeffrey Canada from the Harlem's Children's Zone. What book has changed the way you think about the role of community in your work? Hmm, the role of community is uh, Paulo Freire, uh, Pedagogy of the Oppressed. What is the most common misconception about youth incarceration that you regularly encounter? Um, that, that young people have done crimes to be in jail, and that's not always the, the fact, or the, it's not always true. Whenever you go into a new community or a new um, group of people, where's the first place, or what's the first place, or who's the first place you turn to for information about that new place that you're going to go into you haven't been a part of before? I try to find a wise elder. Uh, what poet or poets do you introduce someone if they think poetry isn't for them? Saul Williams. What advice would you give 25-year-old you? The advice I would give a 25-year-old me would be, it's a quote from Bob Marley, and that is, everything's going to be all right. Uh, what was the best career decision you ever made? Best career decision I ever made was to... Um, is to choose my wife to be my VP in my organization. Nice. And um, so far, what has been your proudest professional moment? Um, I think it was, I think my proudest professional moment was meeting President Barack Obama and introducing myself and him saying, I know who you are. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. That's, I'd be proud too. Harry, if there was one community, you had to choose one community that you could be a part of or are a part of, what's that community? I would love to be part of a community um, that understands the nature and innocence of, of children and will do whatever it takes to make sure that that innocence isn't taken away from them. Awesome. Thanks, Harry. It was great talking with you. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for listening to Community Intelligence. And for more information on this and other episodes, visit our website at stratoscope.com. At Stratoscope, we provide community intelligence services to businesses, nonprofits, and government agencies. Let us know how we can help you.